live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Lots to do. What's the update on um, Tiger Woods, Rick? Anything? Well, they said that uh, the open fractures affecting both the upper and lower portion of the tibia and fibula bones were stabilized by inserting, inserting a rod into the tibia. Um, and there's a lot of additional injuries. They had to open up an area with the muscle to leave pressure from swelling. So I'll have a fuller report, you know, coming down the pipe uh, in my segment. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, well, I don't want to say it, but he's right now, he's, he's done out of the woods, you know. And I, and I mean that, you know sincerely in a nice way uh and also the la sheriff's department is not going to be charging him for the accident there was no nothing salacious, salacious alcohol or any type of uh drugs so right now it looks like he's going to be in the clear with that so that's good news and uh he's up he's alert and uh we only can hope the best for him as far as coming back big d that's a question nobody should even be asking now let's just get him better you yeah. know, I think everyone's relieved to hear there was no drugs or, you know, because of his history, he had yes. some problems. Because yeah. yep. it would really tarnish his legacy. It would destroy the comeback, if you will, you know, because he's been, you know, he's been through a lot. And- it's been rough. Yeah. I mean, and people go in there immediately because they, they don't know what kind of pain he's really been dealing with with his body. Yeah. Well, I got a report a little bit later. A CNN reporter of all places came out and right away he said, oh, I'm not surprised. And boy, did he get ripped apart on social media. I'll have that in my report later, too. But uh, definitely, yeah, he went right to that speculative moment and that wasn't right. Yeah. Speaking of reporters, uh, Rick Delgado's here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Uh, Paul's going to do the news. Rick will do sports. Geo Fran holding it down. Um, So speaking of reporters asking well, this is not not that it's an inappropriate question, but just I mean, the ulterior motives here and what she's really trying to get to. So the GOP leadership, Kevin McCarthy, and um, of course Liz Cheney's the number three. Whoever the number two is is escaping me right now because I'm old and can't remember anything. But there's Kevin McCarthy and there's Liz Cheney standing behind him, and there's a reporter today that asks. Kevin McCarthy, the following question. Cut 41. Roll it, G. Just very briefly, you and the leadership, especially Congressman Cheney, do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, okay, now stop. So, okay, Steve Scalise, of course, is there. He's the number two. Cheney's the number three. And, of course, that's Lee Zeldin from right here in New York there. Um, so the reporter says to Kevin McCarthy, do, do you think – Former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend, the Conservative Political Action Committee once a year conference that Matt Schlapp puts on um, through, you know, CPAC. It's his organization. He runs it. Kevin McCarthy has literally nothing to do with it. And with all due respect, who cares if Kevin McCarthy thinks he should be speaking there? Ask Matt Schlapp that. If you're going to ask somebody, but she's see the reporter's not really interested in McCarthy here. That's the point. You know who she wants to comment <laughs> on it, and that of course is well as the great one Mark Levin calls her Mitt Romney in a dress, <laughs> Liz Cheney. That's who she wants to comment on it. She doesn't give a damn about McCarthy, but she figures well I'll ask him because he's unfortunate he's the leader, so I got to unfortunately talk to him first. But I really just rather ask her. But with all due respect to Kevin McCarthy, it's not his place to say whether who cares what he thinks about Trump speaking there. Matt Schlapp can invite whoever he wants to speak. 
And if the former president takes him up on it, just as he invited the invitation to the former vice president as well, who's not going to be there, has decided for whatever reason, either he doesn't want to or he can't. What if it's a scheduling issue? I don't know. People are making out that it's a big deal between Pence and Trump, but I don't think that's the case. The former president is going to speak there. And again, who cares what Kevin McCarthy thinks? And certainly we don't care what Liz Cheney thinks. So roll it back to the beginning, G. And uh, Kevin McCarthy gives a three or four word answer. And then listen to what happens after that. Go ahead. Just very briefly, you on the leadership, especially Congressman Cheney, do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Congressman Cheney? That's up to CPAC. I've I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and and the extent to which following following January 6th, I don't don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note, thank you all very much. Hey, look, on that high note, we'll all go this way and you go that way. <laughs> because um, we can't get you out of this party fast enough. Um, I don't even know. I'm not even sure of the words. So I just don't want to get myself in trouble here. I could very easily get in trouble here if, if I don't think about what I want to say. But Liz Cheney is just throw it to me, and I'll 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 say you'll, it for you'll you. get us in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so Liz Cheney's take on this is that the former president, who is one of the more popular presidents the Republican Party has ever had, just got 80 million votes. According to Liz Cheney, he should play no part going forward in the Republican Party. Or in, I think she said, or in the world, in the country. I don't know what that means. Um, and I think later to, on, the, on the day, she said, we have to start proving that we're not the party of white supremacy by moving away from Trump as well, or something to that effect. Wow, she said that? Yep. She yeah. is a dope. So this is, um, this is the number three, who is, um, positions herself as some big, uh, like, like she's carrying the banner for the Republican Party. Like it's all come follow me. I've got the new vision. No, no. We hate you and your vision. Nobody, nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks you and Kinzinger and a couple others may think that. But the idea that we're going to move, that we, the Republican Party should, should um, get, get away from the former president and the 80 million people who voted for him, we need to move away from them, or they, we need to push them out of the party before the party can move forward. Well, there is no party if you do that. He got 80 million votes. It's an asinine statement, and it's an asinine standing to take. Liz Cheney. But we know, Paul, why she really hates Trump. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, we know why, right? Because he was against the Warhawks. He didn't bomb innocent people. He didn't start fake wars. He didn't have the military, you know, industrial machine, just the weapons of mass creation, just endless amounts of weaponry built. He didn't pump trillions into the war machine and and, into Raytheon and all these companies that the Cheney family is invested in. And she talks about January 6th. Yeah. Now... Her father and the president he served with 
sent how many of our young soldiers overseas? How many? How many soldiers did we lose? How many young men and women did we lose in Iraq looking for weapons of, that were never there? Her Which, father. By the way, I'll openly admit, back when that happened, I was hook, line, and sink of soul then. After 9-11, I was going full Pat Tillman. I wanted to go. I was full neocon. Yeah, same here. I was, let's kill them all. Let's turn it to yep. glass and all drive muscle cars. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I was sold a bill of goods because I believed the truth machine. I believed the lies on the TV. And it wasn't until 07, 08, really 06, 07, I started to wake up 08, I realized, holy cow. Smedley Butler was right. War is just a racket. And the Bush machine and the and the Cheneys and Zygmunt Brzezinski and, you know, Wolfowitz and Rumsfeld and all these neocons had a plan from then to now. And Trump disrupted that war machine and that gravy train was making trillions. Yeah, and he, yeah he, he's, he was not a hawk at all. He wanted to bring these kids home. But Obama was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, they wanted, and, and by the way, I'm sure Mattis and all these guys, why do you think they hate him? Why do you think they turned on him when they left? They wanted more troops in certain places, and he wouldn't do it. Cheney wanted more troops in certain places, he wouldn't do it. Yeah, they wanted to expand it. And, and as a matter of fact, we crossed a, uh, a particular milestone that nobody's even talking about. I heard someone else mention, and I forget where, that we just had, I think it was just a year anniversary since a, a, a combat-related death in Afghanistan over a year, and nobody is talking about it. That, wow. That's an amazing stat when you that think is. about how long we've been there. And that was the first time that we've achieved that a whole year without a combat-related death from, from anybody in the armed services over there. Crazy. But that was his goal. His goal was to end this garbage. And she's, yes, like you said, Paul, she's pissed. He interrupted the gravy train. Daddy's getting angry. He's yep. getting surly. Where, where's, where's the money? Where's the deals? Yep, you disrupt the gravy t- train and the passengers get upset. Yeah. Well, especially when the passengers are supposed to be known for their foreign policy, right? What they've done all over the world, how they've controlled all over the world, how they tried. And what did Trump do? Trump, Trump took a different tack than all of them wanted to take. Get the troops out. We're not going to start endless wars. We're not going to go police the world in some respects. Uh, obviously, we have to lead. What did he do in the Middle East? Peace. A lot more Peace. than Bush Cheney did. <laughs> Peace yep. deals. Peace deals. What has he done? And all- built our own military up. How did he do with China? How did he take it to China? Did he take it? You know, we could have. Co- A lot more if, than Bush Cheney did. If we would have had four more years of, of Trump, if, the, if all those machines didn't turn off overnight and. Things didn't change in a split second. I won't say what I really believe. Could you imagine what would have happened to the economy in China and how, what kind of national like supremacy we'd have in terms of jobs and creations here? Everybody in this country would be in, would be way, way, way better off. We outsourced everything over there, and it's starting already again. Look at the electrical power grids and the transponders and all the programmable. Machine, like, uh, machinery that's in it, they could, they could flip a switch anytime they want. It's crazy. Look at some of the executive orders that completely changed everything that Trump did when it comes to China. China, Iran, Russia, we've said this now for six, seven weeks, eight weeks, even since he w- it was clear that he was going to go in. I've just jumped in for joy. He's got all the wrong people 
at this time in history to deal with um, this um, with this version of China on the move everywhere. They're on the move. He he's got the wrong people. He's the wrong people. Well, he's he's <laughs> he's the he's the wrong guy at the head. But right. The old boys club that he's brought in here, the Obama third term appeasers, none of them are any better. I mean, it's not, it's not like they're going to be like, well, the old, you know, the old guy's out of his mind. We can't do that. No, no, no. They're all, they're all on board too. All of them. So, um, yeah, so there's Liz Cheney. The, uh, the president shouldn't speak at CPAC, according to her, and the Republican Party can't move forward. Kinzinger's, it's like her and Kinzinger must be on the phone all day. What, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Kinzinger came out and made some statement today too. The Republican Party can't move forward until we're um, not the party of Trump or, or some, he made some statement too, the two of them. Yeah, and then his family also released another statement saying, we still hate you, idiot, shut up. Yeah, and I notice he loves to, um, he loves to talk about that. I don't, I don't know why, but he does. All right, lots to do. Just getting started. I have a clip from Axios on HBO that, um, well, gee, you haven't seen anywhere. I wonder why. I'm Jenna Ellis. I've been a prosecutor, a defense attorney, a professor, and counsel to the president, standing strongly for conservative principles every step of the way. Now, I want to share what I've learned from my experience with you. Everything from the law to the Constitution, the Christian worldview, and more, free from the noise of politics. Not red, not blue, this is just the truth. Join me every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern here on Real America's Voice News. from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour on a Wednesday night. The great Jenna Ellis starting a nightly show right here on Real America's Voice at 6 o'clock. Jenna Ellis, Dr. Gina Loudon, and then us. Come on. That's four hours of appointment television every <laughs> night. Well, at least the first two hours are. Yeah, I, was I don't know say. about these two. Oh, boy. But you certainly should. six and seven. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and then at eight it gets a little gets a little loose at eight. Yeah, yeah. gets a little fine. dicey. Gets wonky. <laughs> gets a little dicey. Um, so there's a piece in PJ Media, and I and I referenced it last night, but I never got into it because I never had time. And um, it's by Matt Margolis, and it's written it's who's writes great stuff for PJ Media, who I've been I loved for years. This site, I've brought you more articles, maybe from PJ Media than any other site. Maybe except for just the news, obviously, and a couple others. But this one is uh, entitled More Proof Biden's Attacks on Trump's Vaccine Distribution Plan Are Based on Lies. And it says um, earlier this week, Joe Biden falsely claimed that President Trump, quote unquote, failed to order enough COVID-19 vaccines. It was the latest in a series of attacks from the Biden administration criticizing the vaccine distribution plan or lack of one left by the Trump administration. Quote, there was no national strategy 
or plan for vaccinations. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. And in so many ways, we are starting from scratch on something that's been raging for almost a year, Kamala Harris said in her interview with Axios. Even Dr. Fauci, quack, quack, dismissed that claim. Quote, we're certainly not starting from scratch, he said. We're coming in with fresh ideas. Well, as I said yesterday, anyone know what those fresh ideas are? Or when we're going to hear about them? Has anyone heard about any fresh ideas? Yeah, he was talking about uh, getting the schools open at least one day a week, which is nice, which is a good start, right? Mm. Am I wrong? Did I hear that? <laughs> um, it says, but also some ideas that were not bad ideas with the previous administration. You can't say it was absolutely not usable at all. It's talking uh, about what's going on, but amplifying in a big way. Well, I don't, I, I don't, again, where's the amplification of what the previous administration put in place? I see none. I see no fresh ideas. I see no amplification. I see no updates. I see no, no news. I see no new vaccines. I see no um, improvement of the vaccines. I just see a lot of jibber-jabber and a lot of taking shots at the prior administration while they ride the coattails. Because I don't know what they've done in seven weeks to make this any better. The two, the two um, data points they've talked about, 100 million shots in, in 100 days, is exactly the pace we were on, which, of course, the reporter asked Biden in his first day. And, of course, what did he do? He attacked the reporter. So I'm not sure what new has happened here. Um, so this article says the Biden administration is still using the same vaccine distribution model developed Operation Warp Speed under President Trump. Quote, it's more or less the plan that we put together, frankly, that's happening. And maybe there are some improvements, and that's really great, some acceleration. But clearly, we didn't go from no plan to a plan and no vaccine to a vaccine. Dr. Monsef Slawi, the former head of Operation Warp Speed, told Fox Business last week. He also said he was surprised that the Biden administration is gloating about a vaccine distribution plan that isn't their own. The data also proves that attacks from the Biden administration are unfounded. According to a graph generated by Newsy, vaccine production and distribution under Biden has not accelerated, but rather followed the exact same trajectory as it was under Trump. And he's put the chart here in this article that shows when Biden was inaugurated and the, exa- the graph, it's exactly the same as what it would have been if it wasn't him inaugurated. Joe Biden's Department of Defense also doesn't dispute that the distribution plan is the same as it was under Trump. In fact, General Gus Perna, who led the effort under Trump, is still there in the same capacity. Quote, centralized distribution is being managed by the CD3C through an existing contract to deliver vaccines and supply kits, he said. We continue the mission to accelerate the development, manufacturing the delivery of safe and effective vaccines and therapeutics. And General Perna continues in his role of overseeing this effort, his spokesman said and told Newsy. So Joe Biden, who wants to um, unify the country rather than give President Trump the credit he deserves, is actually trying to take credit for the vaccines and the distribution plan that he has had absolutely nothing to do with. And that leads me to this clip 
from Francis Collins, who is the director of the NIH. This is Dr. Fauci's boss. He was on Axios on Sunday night, and he was asked the following question. Listen to this. Roll it, G. I'd like to talk a little bit more of the Trump administration. Um, mask wearing aside, what did they get right? The Operation Warp Speed, for which I give a great deal of credit uh, to Secretary Azar, was a effort that many of us were not initially convinced was going to be necessary. And it was thought about as a Manhattan Project. Those words were used sometimes to describe what needed to happen. In order to get all parts of the government together, in an unprecedented way uh, to test up to six vaccines in rigorous trials and to do this at-risk manufacturing so that if the, any of those trials happened to work, you would already have doses ready to go into arms. That would not be the way things are traditionally done. That effort and the recruitment of Dr. Monsef Slaoui uh, was an incredibly important step forward that the administration deserves credit for because that did motivate uh, a lot of actions, a lot of coordination. The fact that we in December had not one but two vaccines that had gone through trials of at least 30,000 participants and had been judged safe and effective by a very rigorous and very public FDA process uh, is just breathtaking. That that got done in 11 months from when we first knew about this virus is at least five years faster than it's ever been done before. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> I mean, that's a, that, is an, that is a stunning clip from the director of the NIH. That is Dr. Fauci's boss. Yeah. And I, and I think the word he used, breathtaking, there really sums it up. Because it was something, he, he looks like a lifer, like Fauci. He's been there forever yeah. in the government, right? And he's never seen something like this come together. Now, this two minutes, whatever that is, a minute and a half, that cuts against every single thing you have heard from Joe Biden, from Kamala Harris, from the media, from the Democrats, from every late night host on MSNBC and CNN, that cuts against every single thing you have heard. The narrative in the last eight months, six months particularly, and since Biden took office, was that they were left a mess, that they were left nothing good, and that somehow they were going to make it that much better. And they haven't. They've done nothing. They've got done nothing. The former president moved heaven and earth in something that will be looked back on, and as he said, will be looked on as breathtaking, that in 11 months they did what would have taken five years. And that's because, as he said, he brought in somebody and then hit everybody over the head with the red tape bureaucrats and said, no, 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 we're not doing this like normal. You think Joe Biden would have got that done? You think Mitt Romney would have got that done? Think uh, Liz Cheney would have got that done? Anybody else in the Republican Party or any party or anybody else would have gotten that done? I don't think so. Jenna Ellis. 
I've been a prosecutor, a defense attorney, a professor, and counsel to the president, standing strongly for conservative principles every step of the way. Now, I want to share what I've learned from my experience with you. Everything from the law to the Constitution, the Christian worldview, and more, free from the noise of politics. Not red, not blue, this is just the truth. Join me every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern here on Real America's Voice News. All right, live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour. I want to at some point circle back to that clip of Francis Collins from the director of NIH because, I mean, you need to really pay attention to what he's saying there. And especially when he talks about the at-risk manufacturing and what that really means, how, what the president was doing when he was doing that. You know, making these manufacturers have these doses ready to go at a moment's notice, even before the approval and the sign-off um, from everybody involved was given so that they were ready to go. Get that clip again, G. Because I mean, you're not going to... You're not going to hear this clip anywhere, anywhere, unless you have HBO and you happen to catch this. Go ahead. The Trump administration, um, mask wearing aside, what did they get right? Uh, by the, the way, I don't speed. know who this guy is who asked the damn question. But the way he asked the question, you want to just grab him by his scrawny neck. What did they get right? Like, he, you know what he wants them to say? Well, not much. You know, that's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's hoping for. Right. What did they get right? What they get right? Well, you know what's interesting too is that the uh, the guy who is in charge of uh, who's Fauci's boss isn't wearing a mask. What does that tell you? I don't know what it tells me, but the the guy who asked the question says putting masks aside. And then that was Fauci, not not the administration. By the way, they of course the administration. I mean, if if you can really criticize Trump for one thing through this whole thing. It's not getting rid. It's not firing Fauci about day three. And, and listening to him, which of course I get, everybody had no idea what, what this thing was, what was going on. What you've got to listen to the people who have done this their entire lives, to some degree. But Fauci's been such a disaster, and continues to get worse by the day. But um, I mean, that's that's you know. If you're going to go back and try to criticize anything, it's not getting rid of him. And we've been on him for months. Guy's a quack. All right, play this one more time. I'd like to talk a little bit more of the Trump administration. Um, Mask wearing aside, what did they get right? The Operation Warp Speed, for which I give a great deal of credit uh, to Secretary Azar, was a effort that many of us were not initially convinced was going to be necessary and it was thought about as a manhattan project those words were used sometimes to describe what needed to happen in order to get all parts of the government together in an unprecedented way uh, to test up to six vaccines in rigorous trials and to do this at-risk manufacturing so that if any of those trials happened to work you would already have doses ready to go into arms that would not be the way things are traditionally done. That 
effort and the recruitment of Dr. Monsef Slaoui uh, was an incredibly important step forward that the administration deserves credit for because that did motivate uh, a lot of actions, a lot of coordination. The fact that we in December had not one but two vaccines that had gone through trials of at least 30,000 participants and had been judged safe and effective by a very rigorous and very public FDA process uh, is just breathtaking. That that got done in 11 months from when we first knew about this virus is at least five years faster than it's ever been done before. So there's many things in there, but when you hear bureaucrats like Francis Collins, who's been at the NIH probably longer than Fauci, say things like unprecedented, it's not how it would have been done, uh, breathtaking, lots of uh, coordination, not how us- that's not usually how it's done. That all goes back to the guy in charge of it. That all goes back to the guy running it. That's what makes that happen. Because can, you can imagine the kind of bureaucratic red tape pushback that the normal politician would come up against in coming up with these ideas. As he said, he just said, we, we used thought of it as a kind of a Manhattan project, probably at the very beginning, like this guy's out of his mind. And they probably realized very quickly that they weren't going to push back on this president. That he was going to trust himself and his decision-making, listen to people he could, and then make the decisions. And that's what I take from listening to him when he starts using words like unprecedented, not normally how it's done, breathtaking, uh, coordination on six agencies of the government. That's all Trump beating them all over the head with a baseball bat saying, no, 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 this this is how it's going to get done. (laughs) We're not dealing with your nonsense of eight years on this and pushing everybody hard. Yeah. And and speaks to his uh, his acumen as as a as an executive, you know. Yeah. That's the job. It's not the job of him, you know, with with a smock on and a big oar stirring it up, you know, like Camilla Harris is saying. Oh, I'm not going to take anything he came up with. He didn't come up with a dummy, but he got the people who are supposed to come up with it to come up with it and get it done quicker than they've ever experience before and you could tell and again it's from his years of being in the government that's not how they do things and he was he was dumbfounded by it by the time joe biden came into office he was in a position we were already shipping a million doses a day that could have been distributed he's on the exact same path now 100 million in 100 days is exactly where we are the trajectory is exactly where we are he has done nothing to push the ball down the road zero This administration has done nothing to make any of this any better. So this whole narrative of her and him going on these shows and saying, oh, the cupboards were bare, left with nothing, it's uh, that's just cheap talk for we've done nothing to make it any better. We don't have a plan. And that's what it is. Plain and simple. All right, let's do some news. And uh, here with that is Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, I wanted to do the Liz Cheney story, but since we already kind of beat it up, but I still got to touch on it, though, all right? Just this thing she said about Liz Cheney says Republicans must establish that we aren't the party of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. How, ha- how have they established that? The, the, I mean, what does that mean? It's so insulting. Trying to prove a it, negative? Exactly right. 
it's it's just uh, it's stunning. So uh, the third ranking House Republican says it's time for her political her political party to make it clear that we aren't the party of white supremacy. She made the comment Tuesday during a vital foreign policy event with the Reagan Institute. Cheney said that it's crucial that members of a caucus forcefully condemn the individuals responsible for the January 6th Capitol breach. She said, it's very important for us to ignore the temptation to look away. You saw the symbols of the Holocaust denial, for example, on the, at the Capitol that day. You saw the Confederate flag being carried through the rotunda. And I think we as Republicans in particular have a duty and an obligation to stand against that, to stand against insurrection. Last month, Cheney became the sole member of the House Republican leadership to vote in favor of impeaching then-President Trump for incitement of insurrection at the Capitol building. You know, her, uh, her decision has so, has so prompted significant backlash from constituents and party members from her home state where she was censured and in the House where fellow GOP members forced a con- uh, conference vote to strip her of her leadership role. So, you know, she's, uh, she keeps doubling down... Um, you know, going on to say the existential threat to who we are, you know, and that we can't be minimalized or trivialized, and this can never happen again. You know, I, I, I still find it very frustrating, this whole thing, because there's quite a bit of evidence saying that, you know, there's a lot of video that says things weren't exactly what the media portrayed it. So I just think uh, I, I find the whole thing completely, I don't know, just frustrating to read. Well, um, I mean, some of what you read that she said, I think everybody can agree with. Whoever these people who are responsible should be held responsible. They are. They're investigating. They're being charged. If they have if the responsibility, I'm not sure how any of that has anything to do with. Number one, Liz Cheney has zero proof, as does anyone else, uh, that the president incited an insurrection. It's just not. It's just not facts. It's, she has no proof of it. Her statement was outrageous, and uh, it would con- it continues to be outrageous. So separating that out, she has no proof of that. The president was not guilty of insurrection. He was not guilty of inciting. The Democrats had no proof of that. They had nobody come forward and say, yeah, Trump told me nothing, zero. The whole thing was a sham. We all know that. She knows it. Um, but as far as her first statement of people need to be, we never have to have, uh, fine. We agree. We, all, we denounce violence, all kinds of violence, any violence. We denounce it. People who thought they were going to go into the Capitol and somehow they're all being charged, investigated, picked up, whatever it is, fine. The story started with we have to prove that we're not the party of white supremacy. What's the connection? What, am I missing the connection? <laughs> well, she she sounds like a Democrat. Yeah, she sounds like a In Marxist. What, what does that mean? Well, she, she, she's immediately equating... If you're in the Republican Party, well, then you must be a racist. You must be a white supremacist. That's the narrative being pushed out by the Democrats and by the uh, news media all the time. And she just jumps on board with it. So we have to go out there and prove we're not. No, we don't have to prove it because we aren't. Exactly right. (laughs) You're trying to prove a negative. It's impossible to do unless you actually do something that is that way. And unless and that's not you, you can't just take a wide brush and say, OK, this whole group, half of the country is white supremacists. Really? Oh, OK, Liz. She's or is she dope. saying that everybody attacked the Capitol is a white. What is she saying? I don't understand the connection. She's saying that the Republican Party under Trump became the party of white supremacy. Right. She essentially right. is saying 
And they, they did that how, according to her? Well, because of the, the media said so. The insurrection and the Confederate flag. So she's saying those people were white supremacists who attacked the Capitol. Well, I'll read the article again, I guess, because I, I, I could have sworn, I could have sworn it wasn't, that's not what she said. I could have sworn she said, we have to ch- make sure that people know that we are not the party of white supremacy. Okay, my question to her would be, what, what would make people think that you are? What makes anybody think that they are? Yeah, the media. Yeah, the It's media. nonstop spew. Okay, yes, I get that. What's the connection to January 6th? That she says white supremacists attacked the Capitol. Okay, that's what I said. Right. Okay. Which is, there's no evidence of that. Correct. None. It's Zero. It's nonsense. And so here we are. Another, this is the equivalent of if you have an argument with somebody and they just say, you're a racist. Yeah. You're an anti-Semite. Well, well, wait, what? Hello. We're talking about Coke versus Pepsi. What do you, how, so automatically you get attacked and now you have to defend this hateful statement, which doesn't exist. It, it's just an impossible, it's just a weapon. It's a cloak yeah. to deflect against any form of reason. That's right. You have to try to prove a negative. Good luck. Look, she went on to say, while Trump was no longer president, some of his loyal supporters in Congress continue to champion uh, his foreign policy uh, philosophy, which is comprised of ideas that Cheney says are just dangerous today as they were in 1940 when isolationists launched the first American movement to appease Hitler and prevent America from aiding Britain in the fight against the Nazis. Mm. This is psychotic. She's got daddy's back. from Studio 6B. Kelly Ackerman on Twitter says uh, 5 to 10 p.m. Steve Bannon at 5, Jenna Ellis at 6, Dr. Gina at 7, then LFS6B at 8 to 10. Best lineup on TV. Pretty strong. She's a smart lady. Uh, Linda Rogers says on Twitter, please tell me I did not just hear Damon say circle back. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say circle back? Uh, Yes, you did. In reference to what? Uh, I think it was the Axios thing. And you said, you want, I want to circle back to this. because. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And I thought you were being super clever, so I didn't say anything. No, I was not. You it were was, just having a sake moment. I was just, I guess. Peace out. Yeah. So, to watching, watching. Well, you know, Geo's producing more and more of these clips because he does it better than I do. So um geo's really stuck now with watching circle back <laughs> i don't have to watch it till we actually get on the show so that's like a really bad nickelback cover band it sounds like yeah all right it's time to do sports and here with that is uh rick amirati that would be lfs 6p audience favorite rick amirati <laughs> what's going on pal Nobody said I look like a chocolate-covered sherry earlier, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be too much of a favorite then. Yeah, no, All right. you're, you're definitely the favorite. I, uh, speaking of that, who was it? Um, somebody sent me Oh, a couple things. 
Becky, uh, email from Becky. I don't want to give last names because I don't know if people want me to give their last names. But Becky says, I'd love a shirt for Rick A with a picture of the kid watching the TV rodeo on his rocking horse. <laughs> <laughs> or Damon on his rocking horse. Uh, riding pickles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you need a pickles shirt. Yeah, so pickles uh, well, shirt. do sports, Rick. I got another email that I saw. Oh, here it is. It's from Mike. Mike says, you know, Damon, Paul, and Rick are good, but Rick Emirati is cool. (laughs) His stylish look and dress suits reminds me of rock singer Donnie Iris from our Western Pennsylvania region. Okay. Donnie played with the Jaggers in the 1960s, Wild Cherry in the 70s, and had many hits in the 80s when he started his own band, Donnie Iris and the Cruisers. Hey, Rick Amorati and, <laughs> hey. cru- and the Cruisers. I can see that. Yeah, Wild Cherry. Holiday Inn. Yeah, play that funky music, right? That so Rick song. does not only does sports, but he's quote-unquote King Cool of LFS6B. So he's Alfonsi. Well, thank you for that. I'm humbled then, by that. I just want you to know, he sent a picture also of Donnie Iris, the album cover. I mean, it's... It could be a young uh, Rick Amorati. It's not not bad. It's not too far off. A young, you're saying I'm old, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. I am. <laughs> All right, Big D, let's go to the hardwood. <laughs> Men's NCAA, a little bit of an upset. Uh, NC State over number 15, Virginia, 68 to 61. Sam Hauser with 21 points for NC State. So uh, that's a top 20 ranked team that got knocked off tonight. And uh, we have Miami of Florida and number 11, Florida State. That game just tipped off. I'll have an update on that in the next segment. And we also have Tennessee visiting Van. Vanderbilt at 9 p.m. and DePaul visiting number 13 Creighton as well at 9. And oh, so we also have number six Alabama going to number 20 Arkansas. That should be a real good game. Uh, going over to the NHL, a couple of shutouts tonight. The Dallas Stars, 3-0 over the Florida Panthers. Anton Huberdin, uh with the shutout for Dallas. And also, Andre Vasilevsky had a shutout for the Tampa Lightning, who also won 3 to nothing earlier today. New York Rangers right now trail the Philadelphia Flyers 4-2. to That's late in the second. And the Flames and Maple Leafs are not at that. Nothing, nothing. And that's in the second. Ducks visit the Coyotes at 9. And Wild and Avalanche, as well as Kings and Blues, they both face off at 9 and 9.30 respectively. And in the NBA, back to the hardwood, Big D. Hawks beating the Celtics and beating them good. 72-49 to 49 at the half. Trey Young with 25 points for the Hawks. Right now, the Warriors lead the Pacers 46-45 in the second. And the uh, Rockets over the Cavs by two. That's in the second as well. Pistons up 39-33 over the Pelicans. Spurs right now trail the Thunder 28-23. Raptors over the Heat, 32-25. That's in the first. And the Timberwolves right now up over the Bulls by two in the second. Lakers Jazz tipping off at 10 out west in the Staples Center. Tiger Woods not expected to face charges after a single car crash. I know we touched on this at the opening of the show. This is by Zach Wasink. Zach Wasink of Yard Barker, my favorite, uh, absolutely my favorite website to go to. Golf and sports icon Tiger Woods is not expected to face any criminal charges following the single car accident yesterday that left him with serious injuries to both legs. This is purely an accident, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva explained on Wednesday. Per Emily Shapiro and Meredith Deliso of ABC News, Villanueva waiver added there is no evidence Woods was impaired at the time the crash occurred yesterday. He was not drunk, Villanueva said, according to an ESPN story. We can throw that one out. Woods' injuries were not considered life-threatening. As Haley Smith and Richard Winton explained for the Los Angeles Times, the so-called black box from Woods' SUV 
should allow investigators to determine how fast the 45-year-old was driving. Villanueva previously said it is believed the vehicle was traveling at a great, relatively greater speed than normal before it rolled over. Officials will also examine Wood's cell phone records to attempt to determine if he was distracted by something such as a call or text message at the time of the wreck. Villanueva had told reporters that the area where the incident took place has a history of a high frequency of accidents. Woods was wearing his seatbelt, a decision that ultimately may have saved his life. I've seen fatal traffic collisions, so I will say it's very fortunate that Mr. Woods was able to come out of this, Deputy Carlos Gonzalez said. So Tiger seems to be very blessed. I definitely had an angel on his shoulder when he rolled over, no doubt about it. And uh, another report. Uh, so Latvian authorities say no police report was filed on alleged Artemi Panarin assault by Aaron Walsh of Yard Barker. And this is starting to get and gain national news. NHL is always, you know, a little bit less followed sport, especially out west. But this is all over now involving Russia. And it was announced earlier this week that Artemi Panarin would be taking a leave of absence from the New York Rangers after a Russian political hit piece was published about him allegedly assaulting a woman in Latvia in 2011. The incident allegedly occurred at a hotel in Latvia. However, a hotel spokesman told KHL reporter Avis Kalinis that no such incident occurred, quote-unquote. On Wednesday, Latvian authorities confirmed to Kalinis that no report was filed on the alleged Panarin assault, nor has there been any court case. The story was published after Panarin voiced his support for Alexei Navalny, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin's opposition. All signs point toward the story out of Russia's being fabricated, but there's no way to be sure until an investigation is completed. It is unsure when Panarin will go back to the Rangers, but right now he's keeping himself secure and low and, uh, you know, just wants to keep himself out of the limelight, which is really a shame for the Rangers and a shame for an NHL player who wants to continue his career. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D for the first segment. Remember we talked about the uh, the people who dissented against the the (laughs) government, the doctors and the... Yep. Out the window, Paul. How many launching out a window? Yep. Now, look, I I openly admit, I hate the Rangers. Hate. (laughs) Yeah, we know. We kind of hate hate that. (laughs) Yes, we know. But this guy is being railroaded so badly... It's such. It's so obvious what they're doing to him. You speak out against your overlord, and this is the the price you pay. Yeah, it, he's it, hiding. It's kind of similar to Enos Cantor of the NBA. He, when he was with the Knicks, he had well, even before that, he had some outspoken things to say about Erdogan over in Turkey. Yep, because yeah. he's Turkish, yep. and they were gonna they were coming for him, and he had to hire extra security and stuff like that. Yep. So it, you know, it kind of makes sense that uh, this guy's pulled himself out of the limelight. Is like, you know what? I'm gonna go skate somewhere, and nobody knows where I'm at. Good move. Let this die down. Yeah, he wants to skate on the ice, not under it. Right. <laughs> he wants to be Putin the puck in the net no. <laughs> not dealing with Putin hey, man, this is no joke man no I mean talk about the Clintons and next thing you know <laughs> here, we, here we go in fact Rick could you, start, right. could you start my car tonight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danny DeVito right and the wise guys there we go <laughs> hey, hey by the way uh, Doug Smith checking in on the uh, America's News chat says we should rename the show Rick Amorati and those guys no. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, I'm going to get fired pretty soon. I know it. Um, Deborah, well, since you brought it up. Um, on um, on the email, LFS6B at Yahoo, if you want to be part of the show. I try to look at as many as I can. Uh, Deborah, I just got this. Deborah says, love the show, 
but I can't go to bed without a wink from Slick Rick. He's the best, and I don't really follow sports. By the way, you know how we could fund this show? We, we have an auction to win a dream date with Rick. Wow. That would be nice. I, hey, I had to stand on my head just to keep sports relevant. I mean, I had a tough topic to deal with. <laughs> yeah, right. You were yeah. doing yeah. Belarus and soccer. And <laughs> hey, I did the MLS. That's my, that's my range. <laughs> Things are not getting any better for the New York governor. Hour two here live from Studio 6B. I, I see one. the New York Post cover tomorrow. And it says, um, big headline, Cuomo's a pig. With a picture of this um, young lady who used to work for him. And it says, governor kissed me, suggested strip poker, former aide says. Um, it's so small, I can barely read it. But I think it says in the little box, former Andrew Cuomo aide... Lindsay, I don't know. It's too small to read. Pages four and seven, tomorrow's New York Post. Uh, But things are um, not getting any better for the governor. And Doug Smith, who was here, what's today? Thursday, Wednesday? When was he here? Monday? Friday. Friday Friday. Friday night. Friday. Kind of laid out the, um, the road to possible impeachment and whether there was the support. And we'll have to, we'll have to check in with Doug maybe and see as now this, I look, what seems like another scandal is starting to brew here for the governor of New York. You know, well, we have- uh, if that happens, I'm going to be the first person to get that bridge, the Tappan Zee, changed back to the Tappan Zee. I don't want <laughs> Cuomo's name on it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because this, this story actually came out in December. We talked yeah, about it a little bit. we talked about it. But then it got, kind of got pushed to the side because of all the uh, election stuff. And because he's a Democrat. Right. And I, I've been I've been noticing people with screenshots back from when uh, Christine Blasey Ford was coming forward um, to falsely accuse Brett Kavanaugh, who, of course, all conservatives went to the mat for. <laughs> and, um, of course, he just voted with um, the liberals on the court not to hear these cases. But having said that, so Governor Cuomo at one point on believing all survivors said, quote, to Christine Blasey Ford and all survivors of sexual assault, we believe you and we will fight for you. That's October 6th of 2018. Um, so we'll see if that standard, of course, is the standard that uh, the governor now believes in. Whether we'll get all the evidence here and be able to hear from the young lady and see what the story is. Will we believe her? It'll be interesting to see if the Democrats, of course, we haven't heard from Joe Biden on other than he's the gold standard. That was back in the, um, before he was president, since he's took the office, I don't think we've heard a word from Joe Biden about Cuomo or about, um, any of the other governors who sent 
infected COVID patients back into these long-term nursing care facilities. He's not the only one. But Biden and his team is, are extremely silent about the governor of New York all of a sudden. So, um, all right. Well, there's lots of stuff. I've got crazy towns and other things, but let's, let's do some more news. I feel like we haven't done a lot of news here in the hour. So what else is going on? Hey, can I give a quick shout out to Tommy Breast's sure. birthday? Really nice guy. Uh, part Happy of the uh, Discord group. Okay. Thank you guys over at Discord. Hey. You guys are awesome. Okay. So, do you want to wa- sing Happy Birthday to him? Uh, I do. We'll do it at the end of the segment. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like to do it somewhere in the neighborhood of G Boys. We'll do a three part harmony here. All right. Um, okay. All right. So, several House Democrats asked Biden to relinquish sole authority of launch nuclear weapons. This is breaking news from John Solomon at Just the News. I'm sorry. Say that. Say that again. Several House Democrats asked Biden to relinquish his <laughs> his Uber Eats app because he keeps screwing up the order. But no, it says they wanted to relinquish his sole authority of the launch nuclear weapons. Oh. I mean, the House the, Democrats. House Democrats. Look, it's gotta be bad. I mean, honestly, the this guy can't like this guy can't dial a phone. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Would you let? Would you, if you were out somewhere and he was driving, would you get in the car? No, <laughs> no, seriously, no. no. There's no way I would get in a car with him. No. How in God's name could he be president? <laughs> we we respectfully Sick. request that you, as president. Review ways in which you can end the sole authority you have to launch a nuclear attack and to install additional checks and balances into the system. The letter states. This is great. Wow. Well, so give me the news on this. So So what is this? So this is uh, multiple Democrats have signed a letter urging Biden to look look at ways he can... You know, and his authority. It says here, the letter notes that there are multiple possible systems proposed and lists several of them. One uh, proposal involves requiring additional officials in the line of presidential succession, starting with the vice president and the speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, neither of whom can be removed by the president if they disagree, to concur with launch order and utilizing federal emergency management agencies tracking of those officials to ensure prompt communication. Once again, we're going to put more authority on President uh, Kamala Harris. So in that situation, we're going to have Biden, Harris, and Pelosi in the room deciding? Yeah, that's... that. I mean, that's dangerous. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. Is that better than Biden by himself, I wonder? uh, I don't know. I think either way we're screwed. <laughs> exactly, Rick. Um, but but you know what that that is? That's just another attempt. Remember, and you got to go back to uh, when they were looking into the Twenty Fifth Amendment. And Trump, what did Trump say? He said they they're not going to use this. You know, Joe's going to use it for me. They're setting it up, right? Joe is going to regret them coming up with this because they're going. This is another way they're looking to remove power from the presidency. Okay, but they're looking to remove power from him. Okay, but do we think? And I'm just, this is the first I'm hearing of it. It's looking nearly at three this. dozen House Democrats, by Here's the way. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. Are they doing this because they're saying to themselves, okay, listen, this guy's losing it. We cannot have this. Or are they positioning this as, well, we've been thinking that this shouldn't be vested in one person, no matter who the president's been, and we need to address this now that we're in power and let's get this done. Or, or are they saying, uh, we can't leave Grandpa here with the keys to the uh, to the Chrysler because he's going to drive it off the cliff. 
Which I, one I, is it? I think it's the first one you mentioned because, you know, the keys to the Chrysler, they can hide the keys. If he can't find the keys, he's not getting in the car. Um, so that they can, they can hide the football and be like, look, he's a little, you know, and I'm sure whoever's in charge of that thing carries it around. Kind of, kind of would realize, Hey, this guy's not, uh, not acting soundly right now. We need to, uh, maybe get him back in bed. Um, well, he's not acting soundly ever. He's, he's clearly, um, in some stage of, I don't know if you want to call it dementia or he's just, he is, he's clearly not all there. He's sundowning. The elevator yeah. is not reaching yeah. the penthouse. Yep. And, that, and that's, I'm not trying to, I, I swear to God, I'm not trying to be, um, no. glib. Cause, but if you don't acknowledge that. The elevator that, doesn't reach the penthouse is pretty glib. <laughs> well, the, the knife is not, I mean, I don't know, whatever you want to say. Not the brightest bulb. Yeah, all of that. The he's, clear, he's clearly in decline. How about how yeah. about uh, a, a, a person in his condition? Yeah, should not. Um, Can we just get Obama out of the basement calling the shots? Just put him in there. Let's just all call it what it is. Let's come on out and sell us the bill of goods and let's. So the quote in this article says, as president, this is, um, I don't, I guess this is the letter. As president, you will have the final say on any changes to U.S. nuclear policy. We respectfully request that you, as president, review ways in which you can end the sole authority you have to launch a nuclear attack and to install additional checks and balances into the system. Uh, and Representative Jimmy Panetta tweeted, Vesting a single person with nuclear authority entails real risks. I'm leading a group of, with my colleagues, with Ted Lieu, in calling for reform to our nuclear command and control structure. It's time to install additional checks and balances into this system. So it sounds like the Democrats are going to position this as its policy that they've wanted to They've thought about, really thought it through, and want to and want to try to get done. Meanwhile, reading through the um, reading through the lines here, it's clear that they're thinking to my they're thinking this guy's losing it. He's not all there, and what are we going to do here so we don't have World War Four on our hands with this guy? See, and I think it's the other way around. I think it's power grab. Because she tried this, uh, Pelosi tried this back right after the uh, January 6th incident, where she contacted the Joint Chiefs and went around it and had a letter and sent it to them and said, you know, basically um, that she wanted them to uh, make sure that Trump didn't have the nuclear codes. Let's see who signed this. Donald Breyer Jr. Ilan Omar. Catherine Clark. Peter DeFazio. Eleanor Norton. Ro Khanna. Barbara Lee, Shelley Pingree, Bobby Rush, Thomas Swazi. Isn't Swazi from yeah. New York? He's in uh, Nassau County, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, John Garmendi, Earl Blumenauer, Steve Cohen, the guy from Tennessee, nut job, Dwight Evans, Jared Huffman, Daniel Kitty, James McGovern. Okay, I'm just trying to see here. Oh, Elon Omar. Yep, you're right. Uh, Rick Larson, Pramala Jayapal, Bill Foster, Jim Costa, and Andre Carson are the 26 House Democrats on this letter.
Well, it's a good. Well, I don't know if we have time. Do we have time for Crazy Town? Speaking of why, why this would be um, Biden's Crazy to, Town. I believe it's up to thirty. Well, Biden now. was in front of a mic today, so we have a Crazy Town, and here it is. Roll it, G. <laughs> and engaging another multilateral institutions to promote, to promote transparency. We're launching a high-level climate ambition, uh, ambition ministerial to modernize our approach to community safety and to do all the most, the most we can, do more. On the heels of the G7 meeting last Friday, it was an opportunity for Trump, Prime Minister Trudeau and I, let me reiterate, our support for the release of the detained Chinese detained in China, two Canadians, oh Michael Spavar and Michael Coving. Oh, come on. Coving, excuse me. I, Michael Thank Coving. you, Justin. Au revoir. Just come on. Make it stop. Uh, yeah, I'm sticking with my first uh, I my think first we know guess. when they drafted this letter. Yeah. That's why I'm saying. Hey, is anybody watching this? Later. You guys watching this? We need to draft a letter right now. Yeah. <laughs> what did he say at the end? I have no idea. Uh, au revoir. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> I said, thank you, Justin. I thought, I, I thought oh, I heard thank him you, say Justin. Trump. Oh, Justin Trudeau. He said, yeah. thanks, Justin. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Yes. He's au revoir. attempting French. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's attempting French. Can't okay. speak English. <laughs> <laughs> he's, having, he's having somewhat of a hard time with English. Pardon my... English. He made, <laughs> let me see a little bit. Let me just see that, G. I know we don't, we're tight on time. Just a little more. One more time. Just a little break. bit of that. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Engaging another multilateral institutions to promote, to promote transparency. We're launching a high-level climate ambition, ambition ministerial <laughs> to modernize our approach to community safety and to do all the most the most we can do more on the heels of the G7 meeting last Friday was an opportunity for Trump Prime Minister Trudeau and I Trump. let me reiterate our support for the release of the detained Chinese detained in China two Canadians Michael Spavar and Michael Covering excuse me thank you Justin au revoir I'm just gonna check I've been a prosecutor, a defense attorney, a professor, and counsel to the president, standing strongly for conservative principles every step of the way. Now, I want to share what I've learned from my experience with you. Everything from the law to the Constitution, the Christian worldview, and more, free from the noise of politics. Not red, not blue, this is just the truth. Join me every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern here on Real America's Voice News. Can we just um, circle back to that? Um, hey, now stop that. Crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to this crazy town again. This might be the first time I've ever done this on this show. And in, in almost now a year, we've been on air. G, 
One more time. Can Fire we air it is, is that English? Triple play. Triple play. I, I got to really listen here. Turn it up. I got to listen. And engaging another multilateral institutions to promote, to promote transparency. We're launching a high-level climate ambition, ambition ministerial to modernize our approach to community safety and to do all the most, the most we can, do more. On the heels of the G7 meeting last Friday, it was an opportunity for Trump, Prime Minister Trudeau and I, let me reiterate, our support for the release of the detained Chinese, detained in China, two Canadians, Michael Spavar and Michael Koving. Koving, excuse me. Oh, God. Thank you, Justin. Au revoir. He's so pleased with himself at the end. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Wow. You know, you know what's bad? That Damon took his glasses off. I don't think I've ever seen you without your glasses on. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that is, that is just, that is painful. That is painful to try to listen to. You know, I thought it was his dentures at some point. Maybe that has some factor in it that he can't get words out, but he can't get names out, can't get thoughts out. I mean, he can't read properly. It, you know, everything's written for him. I'm sure you know, Damon, because we both work in production, but it's to me, it's classic. I can't see or read the prompter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me. He can't see it. He can. It, he can't read it, and it just doesn't. It's just not functioning. I mean, I, it just doesn't function. It, it's and it's permeating down to everybody he, who works underneath him. They all do the same thing. Even the younger ones. She's doing that all the time. Uh, 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 man, that is. I mean. Paul was saying in the commercial breaks, I mean, really, what's, what's the date? What's the date? I mean, this job, he's, I mean, we, we saw it with Obama through eight years. I mean, Trump didn't seem to, Trump seemed to get younger, but I, don't, I mean, we've seen it, the, the toll it takes. I mean, really, we have to start thinking, what, what's, what's the date on this guy where, they, where somebody steps in, if they're, and says, this is, this is too much. I see the over-under is 4th of July. Does he make it to Fourth of July? Does he get removed before or after? Because there's no way he's completing these four years. This is no way. I, I think he lasts at least till August first. You got August first? Yeah, uh, he's he's got to make it past the fourth. I think right. I think that's the date. You know, let's not let's not throw the country into any upheaval. Let's uh, you know, and then in the dog days of summer, ah, uh, you know what? It's a little hot. I'm going to step back. And Camilla, Camilla's going to go. That's what we're going to get. I think it's the midterms. Really? You think he's going to last that long? He might go missing. He might just get lost in the White House. I say the midterms, especially if they lose both. At that point, he's not going to just... It's time for her to fight. It's not good either way. It's just, it's just not good. I mean, again, I say this every single time we have one of these. We, do, we, we try to find some humor, and it's funny, but it's not funny. It, it, it is it is not funny. I mean, it is funny. Yeah, but he but not, is. I mean, it, it's it's somewhat scary. Yeah, not not for the office that he currently holds. Yeah. Um, man, oh man. 
right. Uh, you want to do some news, Paul? Or you want me to jump into some of these clips of uh, Saki today in the uh, press briefing room? <laughs> you know, it's your call, but there's, there's a lot of news. So Go we ahead. Can let's come, do some. We can circle back if yeah, you want. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, I caught what you're doing there. <laughs> All right. I was just trying to be like you, Big D. Yeah, I know. All right, so uh, I thought this was important. Watchdog says uh, United States Postal Service spent nearly $110 million, $110 million dealing with misrouted mail in seven-month period. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it might be time to talk about just uh, privatizing everything. The United States Postal Service expended nearly $110 million in the span of seven months to deal with misrouted mail, according to the Inspector General. The watchdog reported that se- the Postal Service spent $110 million between March 1st and September 30th of 2020 to reprocess, rehandle, and redirect misrouted mail. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, out of uh, more than $47 billion first-class letters processed during that period, spanning March 1st to the 30th, reportedly uh, nearly $73 million misrouted. Just stunning. So, who, who was it exactly, if I remember, remind me of this, who, what party, who was it that was trashing the... Um U.S. Postal Service talking about uh, leading up to the election. Who was that that was trashing them? The, 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 the post general master, they were accusing him. They were trashing the post office. Now, I have, now since November, whatever, I haven't heard a word from these same people. Who was that that was doing that? Oh, that's right. That was the Democratic Party, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, okay. Trashing the U.S. Postal Service. So, House on the verge of passing 1.9 trillion COVID stimulus bill as debt nears 28 trillion. The Democratic-led House on the verge of passing the 1.9 trillion. Um, the House Majority Leader Stanley Hoyer of Maryland Democrat confirmed Wednesday that the vote on the massive bill, the second-largest stimulus package in U.S. history, will take place on Friday. So, okay. get ready for another pump of liquidity and the devaluation of. Your savings. The dollar will continue to drop. Yes. So we haven't talked too much about this because it's been floating around there as they're trying to work it out. $1.9 trillion. I saw a couple of things today that I couldn't believe. Do you know that the percentage that each state is going to get is going to be gauged, I believe this is what I read, don't quote me, off their unemployment numbers. So New York City has an unemployment rate of, I think, don't quote me, I'm going off the top of my head. I saw it quickly. 14.1%. So that equates into like $350 billion as opposed to somebody who's got an 8% or like in North Dakota where they've got 4%. So they're punished for doing their job well? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. right. That's government incentivized the failure. And that's just the beginning of this 1.9 trillion. Very little to do with the virus. The Wall Street Journal actually did a good breakdown of this 1.9 trillion as they uh, really dug into it. Um, I'll just give you just a couple of the highlights here. Uh, COVID cash, 75 billion for vaccinations, treatments, testing, medical supplies. 19 billion for public health, quote unquote, primarily for state health departments and community health centers. Uh, 6 billion to the Indian Health Service. 4 billion for mental health. 
Uh, 7.2 billion more for the Paycheck Protection Program, 15 billion for the Economic Injury Disaster Loans, 26 billion for restaurants, bars, and live venues. But of course, they won't let them open up. 15 billion in payroll support for airlines. Um, the recipients of this taxpayer money will at least be required to prove economic harm. In some cases, repay the loans. Not so for the recipients of the $413 billion in checks Democrats intend to send to households far and wide at $1,400 per person. Uh, so they figured it out that for the $1,400 you're going to get, in the long run, it's going to cost you from studio 6b we're getting a lot of emails on people's timelines um on joe biden whether he makes it in you know how long he's going to make it so um people saying we should do a circle back t-shirt oh boy <laughs> which is pretty funny um all right so let's do well you, you what's the story on amazon you said you wanted so, to do paul yeah so senators ordered amazon to explain why it removed a book that was critical of transgender ideology. Uh, the senators criticized the short-sighted censorship, a political uh, philosopher's book. You know, so uh, here it is. Uh, a group of U.S. senators on Wednesday directed Amazon to give detailed explanation as to why it removed uh, from its digital shelves a book by Princeton-educated political philosopher that criticized prevailing transgender orthodoxy. Ryan Anderson, the president of the Ethics and Public uh, Policy Center, revealed this week that Amazon removed his 2018 book, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. That's the title, When Harry Became Sally. Yeah. Uh, uh, with no explanation and no apparent recourse to have the book reinstated on Amazon's digital storefront. In a letter to Amazon Wednesday, Senator um, Marco Rubio, along with three other GOP senators, demanded Amazon explain its reasoning behind the removal of Anderson's book. And uh, the senators wrote, what was the motivating factor behind Amazon's decision to remove access to this book after hosting it? Uh, for sale for over three years. Is this action part of the broader campaign against conservative material and voices on Amazon's platform? So um, I'm glad the people are speaking up, but uh, and this is why I don't buy anything on Amazon anymore. I'm done. You know, if I, I'll, I'll look there, and then I'll take what I like. I'll see the price, and there's no good deals on Amazon anyhow anymore. Everything's top dollar there. So now I just go, and I, I don't buy. I don't spend a dollar there anymore. So I saw... Um to go along with that story, on Twitter, somebody tweeted uh, this, and they said, Democrats, basically saying that the Republicans are all hysterical about nothing. They said, Democrats are not going to censor Fox News, nor are they planning to take away your guns. Republican hysteria under the branding of independent journalism. Also, there's no shortage of redundant reactionary disinformation. Uh, we couldn't get away from it if we tried. So Matt Taibbi... Who, um, who's a full-blown liberal. Who is very liberal, but writes but, for a Rolling Stone. It's great, though. And is very thought-provoking and, and a lot of times very good. Responded by saying the following. 
We've just seen a sitting president's accounts closed, election discussion terminated, a popular free speech app swallowed up by Apple and Amazon, raw footage shot by independent journalists erased, the New York Post account locked. No media company should feel safe. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. No media company, no um, conservative talk radio host, no conservative host of any kind on any network should feel safe. And um, combining all, I mean, when you stop and think about this, the video I showed you yesterday from Yale University about the Constitution, when you look at some of these radical, radical, radical um, nominees that Biden has in front of the Senate, like this guy Becerra from California, near a tandem, some of the things they've said, some of the positions they take, um, the ever-growing anti-Semitism that we're seeing in this country on places like Saturday Night Live and these drama shows. Um, more and more, you're seeing this attack on Jews. What you're seeing in New York City by the, by the um, mayor of New York City, the Jew-hating, self-hating mayor of New York City, what he's done to the Hasidic Jews in the city, locking the part, I mean, just a full-blown attack. You see Omar and um, Talib, and the growing anti-Semitism you're seeing on the left, there is a lot right now to be very concerned about. And we are only six weeks into this administration. When we talked about this going into the election, it, were, like, it was stunning to us that you'd see so many liberals in New York were Jewish. And they were pro-Biden, anti-Trump. But Trump was the most pro-Israel president I think I've ever seen. And Biden is clearly the most anti-Israel president that we'll see. I mean, as was as was Obama, you know, he could, he he did everything in his power to to to, to knock down Israel. Uh, it's stunning to me. I don't understand. I just don't understand how, the tribalism and how people just get so entrenched in their uh, their ideologies. They just can't think rationally. This is it's scary times. My, you know, it's getting going to get worse too. Well, that's that's what happens with these. Uh, you know, no better way to say it. I mean. I, I, you got to call them what they are, uh, Marxist, leftists. Yeah. These people aren't, these people don't, uh, they don't think like we do. They don't think, you know, hey, you should be allowed to make jokes and talk about who you want. And, you know, you're allowed to be offended. Ooh, you know what? That was spicy. I, maybe I didn't like that. Well, you know what? You don't have to. That's your right as well. You're right not to, li- not to want to hear something and, and change a channel or just walk away from a conversation or just not like a joke. Who cares? That's, that's what we're all about. But, but what they're all about, when they do this, it's their attempt to control you. Now they're pitting everybody against each other. Oh, look at these guys are evil over here. You're supposed to hate them because they think this way. They paint with these broad brushes. They put everybody in their boxes, and then they control it. And then they say, you, you know, they wait for the fights. This is, this is all leading to – because let's face it. Look what happened last year. What happened last year was violence was normalized in these democratic cities. Why? 
because the Democrats, the Democrats wanted it normalized. They want to see this. Yeah, Antifa is just it. an idea. Antifa is just an idea. But meanwhile, I'm watching the interview with Anthony, Andy No today on Epoch Times, and this guy's life has been destroyed. He's been doxxed. He's been beaten down. He's been threatened. He had to move out of the country to, to protect his life because he couldn't get any police protection because it's an idea. Right. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen these insurrectionists, these, but you know, it, it's not to me like this whole thing, this whole narrative is just it's it's so scary how easy that we can wag the dog. You know how the media can just make anything, anything it wants, whenever it wants. And you just look no further than, you know, Operation Warp Speed to what Biden's doing now. You look at the cages that Obama started you know, on the borders, you know, and, and they label it that Trump is is caging children. And now it's worse under Biden. And it's not politicized the same way because they can say and do anything they want in an effort to just feed people, you know, whatever talking point to get them to spew it just in their 18 second soundbite. So they can sound smart at the water cooler yeah. and get someone to agree with them. And then they got their little tribal click and they feel accepted and smart and they move on with their day. Dumber. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, you know, Pretty it doesn't much. end. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good rant, Paul. You're absolutely right. And by the way, it's the same thing with COVID stuff, right? It's not politicized now under Biden. This, he's not attacked for it. He's not even asked about it. The death numbers you don't even see. You don't know that deaths have gone up 20% since he took office. You don't know that he's responsible for 20-something percent of all the deaths. Well, it's only been six. Oh, yeah. That's how much they've picked up. Over 100-something thousand since he took office. But you don't see that anymore. You don't see the death charts. You don't see the numbers on the lower thirds on all these, on all these TV outlets. You don't see any of that. He's never asked about it. He's never asked about Cuomo. He's never asked about Whitmer, what she did in Michigan. She, he's never asked about the fat guy in Illinois, Pritzker, <laughs> that doofus, what he did. It was more than just Cuomo. And, he, and he's never asked about his son. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk about what's on that laptop there, Pop. Big guy. I saw something about him today from the Daily Mail. Did you see this head? Yes, head, uh, I did. What was it? He was sending text to the... So I mean, he was, he was uh, while he was married, he dumped his wife and started uh, dating his brother's now widow. Yep. And he was also engaged in an affair with the widow's sister. He, he's, he's, he's fine. He's good. Yeah, he's a good guy. And yeah. don't forget about the kids because th there was an involvement there too, which is why that whole string of text messages yeah. that were saved where he was complaining that now the kids aren't allowed to be around him. Well, we, we know why. Because of all his inappropriate behavior, comments, yeah. and, and the way he would dress in his... Scarves and, and tidy whities Yep. Just a his scarf and a, and a pair of underwear. The guy's a creep. The whole family's filled with creeps. Yeah. Um... All right, well, I only got a couple minutes here, G. Let's, let's hear, I do want to hear her exchange with Peter Ducey today. So let's, let's hear cut 22 on immigration, the follow back, uh, circle back there. Oh, it's four and a half minutes. How about the uh, crazy town? All right, let's do the crazy town. We'll just recap how it went today in the briefing room. Roll that. Uh, 
well, let me first say that um, that um, and uh, prin uh, uh, he communicated. We are going to continue to work with them uh, on uh, ensuring that um, uh, that uh, that can be expedited. Um, so if if there if the uh, um, I'm not going to get ahead of the policy process or the release of that report, and you'll have to come back. Others will have to come back on sure. the day after it's just released, and or the days after, and we can discuss it further. Sure. Um, you know, I will say that. Um, uh, um, uh, um, but we, of course, engage with business leaders all the time. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I have more specifics no. to lay out. No. There were some problems that 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 process ran into as well. How people have, uh, you know, uh, not in the I cold. Um, I, I wouldn't expect. Uh, I wouldn't. Ex there's nothing that we're holding. I should say for Friday. If that makes sense. Go ahead. I, I was not in any no, policy meetings with him this morning, so I don't have any update on his no. briefings. I'm sure we'll provide a. a, a a readout to all of you, um, but uh, you know we'll ha we haven't had any extensive conversations on that yet, so I don't have anything to read out for you. Yeah. Say it again. <laughs> Can you just say the last part of it again? You were saying, I'm sorry, masks make it difficult. Well, first What's we have not name? made a final uh, attribution um, of uh, of the attacks. Uh, we will. I will say, as you know, the president spoke with the prime minister. The State Department is likely going to have the best assessment of that, but um, I can also talk to them, or you can of course reach out to them directly. To get an assessment. I have not taken a full look at all the different pieces of legislation. Uh, I'm happy to talk to Ambassador Rice, who's running points on this, and I expect yeah. we'll have more to say on voting rights soon. Sure. Uh, but let me do that, and we can see if we can get you more specifics after the okay. briefing. Uh, but the first step is the bird uh, rule, the bird bath. I just like to say that every day. Um, and then uh, that's a really interesting question. Everyone's questions are interesting, but that's yeah. a very interesting question. Uh, sure. I have not spoken with him about that. I, I have not seen those reports. I'm happy to follow up with our team the State Department, but it would probably be more direct if you follow up with them directly. Oh, sure. Look, can I do wow. the impersonation of her prepping sure. for this all day? This is what she looks like in the green room, wherever she does her work prepping. She's like this. <laughs> Playing video games. <laughs> she, hey, does someone order crab hub? <laughs> <laughs> She's Paul, doing, what is I, she doing? Paul, why, she, why looked, do, she looked like you before the show today. <laughs> when, I walk, when I walked in and woke you up. Yeah. Well, got woke. Do, <laughs> when do people stop showing up? I wonder. I guess they won't because they're all, it's the meeting, you know. It's, why would you keep showing up when, when she provides you <laughs> no information? <laughs> Can you ask the last part? What's your name? Thirteenth to the hour. Hey, Paul, I got a great email here uh, from Michelle. This is right up our alley. She says, we have a small bet going between us how many days Joe will be in office because of his dementia. I said 31. My friend Ed said 61. Joe's already gone past 31, so I've lost. We just saw your crazy town uh, and how he was so pitiful. Uh, you thought he'd make it to July 4th. Question of the night. Do you or do we want to get in on the betting pool? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you had yeah. me at betting. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Get in. Okay, so there you go. So while the emails are coming in fast and furious, and I, I swear, I, t- I know people think I'm lying. I'm really not. I do try to read all of them. Um, I just, it's hard to respond to all of them, but I'm obviously I'm reading some here on the show. Um, Scott Johnson just said, Oh, I said his last name. I shouldn't say last name. Scott just said, you guys are straight up badass. Thank you to the four of you. Love the show. Most people just say they just love the show. And so I thank you for all the emails. I promise you I'm reading them. If, even if I don't respond, uh, to all of them, I do go through them every night. So, all right, let's do sports. With the uh, with the audience favorite, that would be uh, Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? A big day. And speaking of a great audience, the America Online Chat, the Real America's Voice Online Chat, usually between 900 and 1,000 every night. What a great group of patriots. Clever, quick as a whip, quicker than us. And there's one uh, one individual, P.V. Burnett, not sure if it's a guy or a girl, uh, doesn't matter. Replacing President Trump with Joe Biden is like replacing Nick Saban with Jerry Sandusky. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah, another good. one, too. Uh, Joe Biden is like looking, looking like for a lost ball in a tall weeds. Yeah. So he's had some, he's had some <laughs> good ones there, and that was in sports. So thank you for that. Great group. We love you. And uh, let's head over to the uh, Hardwood Big D. We have uh, one, well, two games in action right now. Actually, three. NCAA Men's Division One, Florida State, number 11 Florida State, up over Miami of Florida, 55-37. to 37. Isaiah Wong leads all scorers with 16 for Miami of Florida. Maybe you'll get a little help because he seems like the only one scoring for that team there. And uh, number 25, Tennessee is up 25-20 to 20 over Vanderbilt. And DePaul right now trails Creighton, number 13 Creighton, 29 to 21. And um, moving along, we have uh, NBA action. Uh, 119 to 100. The Hawks over the Celtics. Celtics have really hit a bad a bad pace there. Trey Young with 33 for the uh, Hawks. Good game there. Warriors and Pacers in a good one. Tied at 91 in the fourth. Uh, another final. The Cavs over the Rockets. 112 to 96. Colin Sexton with 29 for the Cavs. The Pelicans right now trail the Pistons uh, 92 to 94 to 92. Uh, and that's also late in the fourth. We have another game. Uh, the Raptors right now trailing the heat 82 to 74 in the fourth the Suns who are really looking good good team there in Phoenix like they're looking at that team up 46 to 38 over the Hornets and right now the Bulls 98 Timberwolves 93 Lakers and Jazz tipping off at 10 and can I just tell you I just got <laughs> Chris says the Rick uh, Amorati is cucumber salad cool Sabri is crazy salsa hot Paul and Rick are mixed nuts and Big D is the head chef <laughs> That's the smorgasbord, Big D. Uh, that's pretty good. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, NHL action, moving along. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers <laughs> over the Rangers, 4-3. to three. That just went final. Maple Leafs, 2-1 to one over the Flames in OT. <laughs> uh, Ducks and Coyotes, 0-0. That's in the second. And Wild and Avalanche, as well as the Kings and Blues, uh, nobody on the board. Up, excuse me. Wild is up 1-0 over the Avalanche in the first. For all you hockey fans out there, all three of you that probably watch this, this show. Uh, and uh, after Tiger... Uh, this a good story. I like this story, Big D, about Tiger Woods. And a little bit about Tiger before I wrap it up tonight because he's been on my mind and everybody else, I'm sure. But after Tiger Woods' wreck, Ben Hogan's own crash remembered. Hogan was 36 when he and his wife were involved in a collision with a bus. This is from Ryan Gatos in Fox News. I'll try to go quickly. Tiger Woods' crash on Tuesday, which left him with re- serious leg injuries, spurred reminders of when another golf legend survived his own automobile wreck. Ben Hogan, the great Ben Hogan, who won nine major championships, nearly had his life and career cut short after a crash in February of 1940. 49. Hogan was 36 years old when he suffered fractures to pelvis, collarbone, and ankle, along with a chip rib and blood clots after being in a head-on collision with a bus in Texas. According to the Eugene Register Guard, Hogan threw himself across his wife in the passenger seat to protect her and might 
have been killed instantly if he didn't do that. Hogan was told he may never walk again, but was back on the course for the 1950 Los Angeles Open. Hogan won the U.S. Open in 1950 and with five majors after that. He finished with 69 PGA Tour wins and died at the age of 84 in Texas. Hogan and Woods are two of five golfers to have won four majors. The others include Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Gene Sarazen. So, you know, hey, I mean, I know it's a long way to go, but uh, looking to the great Ben Hogan, who, you know, 36 is a lot younger than 45, and, you know, it doesn't sound like his injuries were as, you know, damaging as Woods. But let's see what happens, see how this plays out. But most of all, let's see Tiger be able to take care of his family and help his son and his daughters and uh, his daughter and, uh, you know, live a good life. We wish him a lot. He's already changed the game. It will go down as the greatest ever in my book. And uh, boxing news. Tyson Fury to fight twice in 21. Uh, Still eyeing Joshua. This is from Brett Okamoto, ESPN staff writer. WBC heavyweight champ boxing uh, Tyson Fury says he will absolutely fight twice in 2021, regardless of whether a mega fight against Anthony Joshua comes together. Fury, who's 30-0-1 with 21 knockouts, has not stepped into the ring for over a year now. Big D, that was over a year ago, that knockout of Deontay Wilder. Remember where he was wearing 85 pounds of of uh, robe and garb when he walked in in a mask. Yeah, and then um, blamed it on that why he lost. Yep, exactly. So they don't know uh, the matchup with Joshua, who's 24 and 1 and holds the WBA, WBO, and IBF versions of the Alphabet Soup titles. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. We're going to keep an eye. But I would like to see him get back in the ring. Tyson Fury is, is the most exciting boxer there is. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. And um, just one more big D, real quick. CNN's reporter under fire for insensitive remarks on Tiger Woods crash. This is by Kenneth Garga of the New York Post. A CNN sports reporter was ripped online for saying on air he was, quote, not entirely surprised about Tiger Woods' California car wreck, citing the legendary golfer's 2017 crash with on on prescription killer painkillers and later apologized. Andy Scholes made the remarks Tuesday as the rollover crash outside Los Angeles was still breaking. Asked about his thoughts on the accident by a CNN host, Scholes replied, stunned, I guess, but not entirely surprised by what we're seeing here. Scholes continued, you know, Tiger, back in 2017, was found by police, pulled over on the side of the road, you know, asleep in his car. You know, he had said he he had taken a lot of painkillers at the time, but we all know Tiger has undergone a lot of surgeries over the years, and painkillers have become a part of his life. Uh, Scholes was referring to Woods' DUI bust in Florida. The master champion was found by police passed out behind the wheel of his Mercedes. So, you know, he kind of went on, but I'll tell you, a few, few people really came after him. And one, one particular follower said, I think it was completely sensitive at the breaking news about Tiger's accident. The first thing you brought up were his past injuries, painkillers, and alcohol. It was disgusting, wrote Twitter user Kathy Cobo 60, Coco 60. Another user, Big Cabo, said, you should be embarrassed. I'm not entirely surprised what I'm seeing right now. Goes on to indicate this is because of painkillers when you have no idea. Classless. And a third person commented, you should be ashamed of yourself blaming and shaming Tiger Woods before we know the details. Of course, he put his tail between his legs and said, sorry, didn't mean for it to come out that way, he replied. But, you know, it was from CNN, so what do you expect? But that really was inappropriate at that early in the stage as the as course it, it was. Just taking that, the guy that's, in a, that's the, that's the, yeah. the low tolerance left. Oh, that's it. CNN Cartoon News Network. Yeah. yeah. That's well, a wrap, Big D. And Twitter's good for things, certain things Twitter always wins at, but mostly it's a cesspool of just hate. Eight. Yep. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, anyways. Uh, do we have a telegram? Someone wrote in saying, don't forget to mention, the, uh, Kristen says, don't forget your fans on telegram. 
Yeah, I think we have a group. Let me double check. Someone must have started that because yeah. I don't. I'm never. That's the first I've heard of it. I believe. But it, a, I think Peter if, Rizzo did. If uh, we do, Peter hello Rizzo to them. and Bonnie, they're great people over there. And uh, yeah, I'm, in fact, I think I'm in that group. Um, <laughs> but there's so that's the problem with the scattered social media. There's so many yeah. places to look. It's hard to keep up with yeah. it. You know. Okay. You know, it would be great if we get everyone to consolidate over yep. a Gab. The Gab group is up to 600. Yeah, the Gab gang is LFS growing. LFS6B, a Gab. Maybe we can get the, move the chat, get everybody merged into one place. Come on, Big mm-hmm. D. Okay. Put it together. Well, you guys let me know how that goes. Do you have stock in Gab, Paul? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I I mean, Paul, Paul pushes Gab as if he's like the uh, like a, like a an investor. I do. <laughs> like he's got shares in the damn thing. I do. Okay, well, I'm that would explain it. No, I'm also I don't. a member. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the president. <laughs> the hair club. <laughs> As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks to everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to you, the live from Studio 6B audience, wherever you are. We'll see you tomorrow night. Au revoir.